to Fresh Takes on Tech. I'm Bonnie Estes, your host, to talk about new innovation in the produce industry. This season, we are exploring nutrition and the role that produce plays in a healthy diet. Today's conversation is about the path of delivering an exciting new product to market, the purple tomato. I know you're thinking there are already some purple-skinned tomatoes out there, but the pigments mostly stop at the outer layers and aren't in the fruit itself, and they don't have the health benefits. This tomato is genetically modified to produce anthocyanins, the antioxidant-rich pigment that give blackberries and blueberries their color and nutritional value. So why are we talking about this now? One, the purple tomato has health benefits and a longer shelf life than red tomatoes and has um, these health benefits that we'll discuss. And another exciting reason we are talking about it now is the USDA has approved this genetically modified purple tomato, clearing the path for sales in American stores next year. My guest is Nate Pumplin, president and CEO of Norfolk Healthy Produce, the U.S. arm of Norfolk Plant Sciences that will commercialize the tomato. Welcome, Nate. Thank you, Bonnie. It's great to be here. So let's start at the beginning. Who developed this variety and how long has it taken? And just give us the story of how this came about. Absolutely happy to. So this was first developed by a professor in the UK, Kathy Martin, and she initially started out studying flower color. She asked a basic scientific question, why are some snapdragon flowers white while others have this dark pigment? And she discovered there were two genes that control that pathway. And Kathy is someone who has focused um, her entire life's work as a scientist on nutrition partly because she's a diabetic. So as an individual, she's spent her life making very careful decisions about what she eats because it has a huge impact on her health. And she's been really motivated to find scientific ways to increase people's health through diet and nutrition. So what she found through her scientific research was putting two genes from Snapdragon, the ones that turn on color in flowers, if she put these into a tomato, the tomato would become purple. So you mentioned, Vani, that there are purple tomatoes in the store you can get. And so I've got one here with me, one of ours. And you see these sometimes. The ones in the store are never this dark, but you do find purple skin tomatoes. When you cut those in half, usually you see a red tomato. And what's very special about ours is when you cut it in half, you end up with a purple flesh tomato. So we're able to eat purple skin tomatoes that have these antioxidants which are very healthy. But Kathy was able to make a version that is much, much higher in these antioxidants and the purple pigment. And what we get is a tomato that's strikingly beautiful and purple. Excellent. So how long did that take from the time um, she first started working with the genetics to, to now? Well, so the first paper was published in 2008. <laughs> so already almost 15 years ago. And of course, there was a lot of discovery work to get it to that point. Um, now we're so far down from the, from the first publication because there's been a lot of work that's gone into the regulatory piece to generate data, to get submissions together so we can get a product out to market. And also as it happened, um, Norfolk was really waiting for a change in the regulatory framework that, um, governs products like this. And this big change came about in the U S just last year with the USDA publishing the new secure rule. 
So what's your involvement been? How did you get involved? And you're obviously not in England, you're in Davis, California. So how did you get involved and, and what's your role in it? That's exactly right. So Bonnie, my background is in plant genetics and biology. I have a PhD. Um, I've been doing a lot of research early on in my career looking at ways to increase the sustainability of agriculture, either through uh, improving the ways that plants get fertilizers or reducing their losses to disease. And I know this is something you and, you and I have a bit of a shared history in. I was always looking for solutions to problems that could then get out into the world and make an impact. So I did a fair amount of academic research, then I was doing private industry research and development, um, a lot with a company called Join Bio that's making more sustainable nitrogen fertilizers for crops. And a year and a half ago, I met the team from Norfolk Plant Sciences. And what I was really impressed by was Kathy and the company had spent a lot of years developing the purple tomato, doing science, publishing peer-reviewed papers on it. Um, it had everything that it needed to get out to market. And they were really looking for someone to pull the pieces together, pick up the ball and run with it and commercialize the tomato. And that was exactly in my wheelhouse what I was looking to do to take a cutting edge, innovative piece of science and jump that chasm to getting it to the market and getting it to be a successful product. That's so exciting. That's like, well, I don't know if that's everybody's dream, but it certainly is a great opportunity to be able to do something like that with a product that's exciting. Absolutely. And it's been my dream for the last 20 years, at least. Can you talk more about the health benefits of the tomato? Absolutely. So, you know, we know that fresh fruits and vegetables are the cornerstone of a healthy diet. And so I'll start by just saying, you know, eating fresh fruits and vegetables is inherently a healthy thing. Um, we really believe in eating the rainbow, right? So if you're eating fresh fruits and vegetables of different colors, you're getting a diversity of different nutrients, minerals, and this is a great way to go. What is special about our tomato, it's high in these antioxidants called anthocyanins. And these are shown in the literature to bring about a lot of positive health benefits um, from respiratory health, cardiac health, a number of other things. Um, and so what we also know is that the average American receives a very low amount of these nutrients in their diet. These are the same nutrients that you get from blueberries, from blackberries, from cherries, some of these foods that people consider to be superfoods. And so what the purple tomato offers is another avenue to get these types of antioxidants. So take us through your the recent regulatory success here in the U.S. And this was just, at least in my feed, and I'm a little bit of a plant breeding nerd, but like there was articles coming up on my feed everywhere about this and everybody was talking about it and you were getting huge uh, congratulations. And, and this is just, this is a really important step in, in plant breeding and, and bringing new varieties to market. So talk about how this happened and, and why this is such a big deal and why now. Absolutely. Well, I'll summarize it and say it was it was a giant step for a small company and a giant step for the industry as well. Um, and I think that's why it's seen so much attention. So one of the things that we see in, in the regulation of products that are made with biotechnology, um, it's extremely has been historically extremely expensive and takes a long time to get a product through regulation. The number people often look at is, you know, at least one hundred million dollars in 10 years. And so that's just simply not approachable for most specialty crops for fresh fruit and veg. 
it is very prohibitive. And so our company has had this technology for a while, but simply haven't had the resources or you know the type of opportunity that would justify that investment. So the first thing that changed, which is really important, is the USDA regulations. So in 2021, last year, the secure rule went into effect, and that clarifies the process that they use to determine is a product that's made with biotechnology likely to be a much higher plant pest risk, yes or no. And what the new regulations do is offer this clear step where they review what is this new product? You know, so, okay, you have a purple tomato. How did you make it? What's the change? What are all the differences between a normal tomato? Um, can we conceive of any avenues that make this a higher plant pest risk? And if they determine through that process, this, this doesn't have any plausible way to have an increased plant pest risk, then they will give you what's called the non-regulatory status. And, and we often refer to it as approval. Um, what it means is that we're able to grow it outside, breed with it, send the seeds around as if they're any other tomato seeds. And so did you have to send in a huge regulatory package for that? I mean, how with the secure rule, has that changed the way that the what the regulatory package has to look like? It, it is relative to the old framework. So the expectation before the secure rule was multiple years of many sites of field trial data um, because that was, that was routinely done. And so the new regulations clarify that isn't needed. There is a, a basic set of information on the genetics, the genomics. Um, what's, so we have metabolite data in there as well. What's the change? And is it something that could make this uh, a super pest or a plant pest risk? And so the so the package is much slimmer, the initial package. I should mention that um, there's a second step in the secure rule. So, so the USDA does a first review and what they're aiming for is to do that within six months. They'll come back after six months and say, um, actually, we're concerned that maybe there could be some plant pest risk. Now we need a much bigger package with a lot more data to address those concerns. And that's going to step two. Um, so they are, of course, very carefully and rigorously reviewing the submissions for new products. And this is really important. So I really want to emphasize from Norfolk's perspective, it's important that we have a strong regulatory environment that's looking at new products because the biotechnology, it's it's not inherently good or bad. It depends on the changes that you're making. And so it's important that there is a review. Um, so the products that we're, that we're bringing to market and releasing in the environment are safe. And it's also really important that the public has trust in the system, that these new products have been vetted, they've been reviewed, and they don't cause any increased danger. So the announcement that came out this month that, of course, we're very, very excited about is the decision from the USDA having reviewed our submission and said, our product, our purple tomato, doesn't, doesn't present any increased plant pest risks above any normal tomato. So now we can grow the tomato like another tomato. Um, we can send seeds within the US without requiring permits. This is also very exciting for the industry because now it shows there is a path for a small company with almost no funding <laughs> to have an innovative idea, a creative idea based on sound science and bring it through to the point that you have, at least from the USDA's perspective, the ability to work with it. And 
this has a huge impact on the ability for companies to innovate, to bring new products to market, for competition now to come about um, using biotechnology tools to solve problems. And that was a big limitation in years past. Yeah, so where we kind of ended up years ago is most of these biotechnology tools ended up being used on the large row crops um, with grower traits, um, with companies that could afford to go through that long, expensive regulatory process. And so I forget the exact numbers, but it's, you know, big portion is in like three crops of, of genetically modified. And so that went into cotton, corn, and soy. And that's kind of where it stayed for a long time because it was so expensive. But now um, with the secure rule and with really being able to look at what can we take to market and, and especially what is higher nutrition and what's exciting to, to consumers, this is just a really exciting step. Absolutely. And, you know, Vani, one of the promises of biotechnology in the 90s was products like this, right? We're going to have um, foods with more nutrition that are more sustainable, that are more flavorful, that are more attractive to consumers. And it's one of the criticisms of biotechnology that you often read about now. Hey, what happened to those promises? You know, we don't we don't see many of those products out in the market. And, you know, it's true there. There aren't many products on the market. But the reasons have really been the cost and the time of getting these products out. And a lot of that has to do with regulatory. So I, I really believe strongly we're entering into a new era where we're going to see a lot of new products that are enabled with biotechnology that meet the unmet needs of consumers. And really for those consumers who are interested in products like this. So let me, let me pick up on that and say Norfolk's position, we really are technology agnostic. We're not trying to say GM, GMO crops are so great and everything should be a GMO, far from it. Um, we think there's huge opportunities to have new and better innovative products out on the market. Um, you know, no consumer is ever satisfied with what they have. And so there's different technologies that are appropriate to meet those needs. And we think that biotechnology, um, transgenics, GMOs, also gene editing are very powerful tools that can be used, that should be used. They're demonstrated to be safe at a high level. Um, but these of course fit together with traditional plant breeding, with production methods, with everything that goes into the supply chain. This season, we're focusing on nutrition and the role that produce plays. Thank you to our sponsor, Conscious Foods from Pairwise. Driven by the belief that healthy foods should be consistently fresh, delicious, and convenient, Conscious Foods is a flagship brand under Pairwise a mission-driven company that is building a healthier world through better fruits and vegetables. Pairwise uses gene editing to accelerate innovations in consumer foods with a focus on produce. To find out more, go to ConsciousFoods.net or Pairwise.com. I think it is changing the conversation. Um, I had a podcast that came out a couple of weeks ago with Joyce Van Eck about the golden berries and using gene editing and um, I think that's a great conversation of really looking at what are some orphan crops or crops that haven't been grown because they're too difficult to grow commercially and, and that have high nutrition and how can we use gene editing and get those out on the market. So I think as this conversation comes out to consumers of like, you know, before consumers didn't see what they were really getting out of GMO corn themselves. Um, but now when you say, well, you can get higher nutrition, you can get this amazing crop that wasn't around, you can get purple tomatoes, you know, I think, I think that kind of starts to change the conversation, right? 
It absolutely does in a, in a few directions. So, you know, first of all, if someone says, I'm not really comfortable with GMOs and I don't want to eat them, they can say thanks, but no thanks, right? So this this tomato has a fully purple flesh. They can say, oh, no, I, I don't want that. Um, I buy organic. I buy non-GMO verified. There's many, many options available on the market if you want to eat non-GMO. Um, if you're someone like me who wants to eat a product like a purple tomato, there's very few options on the market. So, you know, we're simply supplying an extra option for for those people who um, share our vision of the food system and the food that they want to eat. Um, so that's that's really important. Um, I also wanna wanna give a shout out to Joyce, who is at Boyce Thompson, where I did my PhD and uh, and has a fantastic group and wonderful research there. You know, um, what she's looking at with the goldenberry and the ground cherry is accelerated domestication of of a new valuable interesting food crop and i think that's really when we look at um, changes in consumer choice when we look at the constraints coming from climate change and lots of different production systems we want to have a mix of genetic diversity biodiversity to draw on to solve those challenges and so you know we often talk about the value of seed banks the value of um, saving and maintaining our biodiversity that's extremely important the domesticated crops we have are still a very limited amount of genetics, and it's a little bit random what we've domesticated. And so I think the work that Joyce and people like Joyce are doing is, is really fantastic to accelerate domestication, increase biodiversity. And I think that's what we're doing at Norfolk as well. The purple tomato is, is an added bit of biodiversity added into the potential tomato breeding germplasm. So are you looking at other crops to and or other traits to move forward or is, is this the one thing you're going to do? We're we're looking at all of these things. So our initial product that we're bringing out to market is this purple cherry tomato. And there's a number of reasons why that's our first product that we want to bring out to market. But it will be followed by a number of other products and it goes in a few different dimensions. Um, we certainly want to bring the purple trait into other tomato categories and we're doing that already. We have other other technologies. Like what? Can you say or is it a secret? Well, no, it's of course it's no secret, right? Um, we'd love to have a big purple beefsteak tomato that you can slice up and put on the top of your impossible burger, put on a sandwich. Um, this is this <laughs> is uh, this is of course um, one of one of the next things in the pipeline and any tomato categories that are there, our technology works in. Um, of course, there's a lot of processed products that will be interesting to do as well. Purple tomato juice, um, salsas, all of all of these um, products that offer other advantages and are really important um, consumer categories. We have other other innovations within tomato that Kathy Martin and the team at Norfolk have developed. Um, one example is a, a CRISPR-enabled high vitamin D tomato. And there's also other, other tomatoes that are high in different nutrients that Kathy has developed that we're interested to look at. Um, the purple tomato is just obviously the, the one that's most different, most striking, and the best one to start with in the market. The other thing that we're looking at at Norfolk is other fruits and vegetables outside of the tomato category. And again, it doesn't have to be something that's GM enabled. It needs to be something that meets consumers' needs for healthy, tasty, well-produced crops. And one thing we're really focused on is local production. So say more about that. So a lot of the tomatoes in the U.S. are 
uh, import export. So they're grown in Mexico, grown in Canada. And because of the regulated nature outside of the US now um, of the purple tomato, we need to start our production domestically. And that gives us an opportunity to work with US based growers and local supply chains that are much closer. And so that's our go to market strategy. Um, and of course, that gives us the opportunity also to work in areas that have a lower barrier to entry um, rather than trying to get into large retail chains or with large grower packer shippers. Um, and it gives us a product that we can offer to smaller growers, for instance, people who are growing and distributing at farmers markets, at local retailers, at uh, local food service chains. It gives us a special product to give to them. And I think something that, that a lot of consumers are looking for is local production when they can get it. So that's where your go-to-market strategy will start is you'll, you'll have seed that I assume you're going to start bulking up and, and um, you'll be able to sell to smaller producers that will sell mostly in local markets. Um, that's a great way to do it as you're bulking up as well, right? That's, that's exactly right. And you know, one, of the, one of the things that's really important to us at Norfolk is to start very focused at a manageable scale, engage with customers and listen to them, learn from them. You know, how do you, do you like this purple tomato? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Present it in a way that's really meeting their needs. And the same thing with the growers, you know, how, how are these varieties working for you? What are some of the issues? What are some of the strengths? Um, so really doing test marketing, talking to customers as we're doing um, variety trialing, our final trialing. And the other thing is with the farmer's markets, it gives us an opportunity to have that direct connection between growers and customers, have that conversation very intimately and learn from them rather than having a few steps in the chain. So how, how are you scaling up your company to, because this is a, this is very different than your traditional seed company. You know, when I think about traditional seed companies, they're not doing what you just said there. <laughs> so how are you hiring and how are you going to scale up the company to be able to manage all those different pieces? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are um, not a traditional seed company, that's for sure, nor are we a traditional produce company. We're not trying to serve an existing market segment. We are creating, in essence, a new market segment. Um, the bonus that we have, the benefit that we have is we don't need to compete like with like with other varieties that are out there, other production, um, because we have this special differentiation with the purple tomato. So we are growing the company very much focused on commercial. So that's marketing, that's product development, that's agronomy, um, very much production focused and customer focused, rather than for instance, research and development focused. And will you have a brand your own brand or will you let people brand it themselves or how, how will that happen? We, we have our own brand that we're developing right now and necessity is the mother of invention. So it's really important that we tell the story of the Norfolk purple tomato. Why, why did we make it? Why are we bringing it out to market? Why do we think it is so wonderful? Um, it's, it's, not such a simple story to tell and we want to make sure that it's done well and we want to make sure that that we're engaging with the customers so down in the future it may be that our product and our brand fits into to other narratives but for now it's really important that we that we develop that and roll it out to customers before i hit record you were talking a little bit about um 
just the response that you've gotten since this USDA announcement has kind of thrown you onto the, uh, the certainly on the stage in the U.S. And so uh, t- tell me a little bit more about what kind of response you've gotten, both from consumers and from growers and retailers, and you know, what are people saying and what kind of questions are you getting? Yeah. So, Bonnie, you know, the response has been overwhelmingly positive, supportive, encouraging um, throughout from from customers to retailers to the produce industry. And it's interesting because about a year and a half ago, a little over a year ago, we were on the cover of the New York Times Sunday magazine. And there it was um, it was the first media report in a while. And it was kind of a curiosity and kind of a, you know, let's have a discussion. Are we ready for this? Is it too soon? And it's interesting that just a year later now, and of course it helps having the USDA gone through the, the submission, um, but the response now is, okay, we, we see that consumers are ready. We see that um, people's perception of GMOs has evolved. And also the challenges that we're facing as a society have evolved, right? Food security is top of mind for so many people. Sustainability of production is top of mind. Health and nutrition is top of mind. Um, if you look at activity in Washington over the last few weeks, right, there was the, the discussion on uh, health, nutrition, and hunger from the White House and also the executive order on biotechnology and biomanufacturing. And so I think we're, we're simply in a new era and the industry and the public is starting to relook at technologies that can help us get to, for instance, the UN Sustainability Development Goals. Um, and seeing seeing biotechnology as really one of the viable tools to bring into the mix. So in talking to Impossible Foods uh, a couple of years ago, I was amazed that there was such acceptance of a biotech product. And um, I kept saying, this is amazing because I worked in trying to get other biotech um, genetically modified products out and everyone just loved Impossible Foods. And so um, one of the things that uh, the CEO founder said, Pat Brown, was that um, animal advocates are much louder than anti-GMO people. And which I thought was a very interesting response. And I think part of that is just we're starting to give people what they want and what they can get excited about. And as long as you can make them feel like what they're eating is safe, um, then they're fine with how you did it. So I just wonder how you see that changing um, the way people are thinking and what the conversation is going to be with consumers with this. Like if they go and they see this at a farmer's market, how are they going to think about it? And are they going to accept it You know, at, at the point of purchase? Yeah, so Bonnie, that that's a great example to bring in the Impossible Burger because you know I I buy it routinely. They sell it at uh, Trader Joe's in town here, and it has the the bioengineered label right there on the front. And I think a big part of the conversation before was, do you want GMOs? Yes or no? It was kind of abstract. And when GMOs first got into the food system, for most people, it was not a choice. Right. They found out after the fact, hey, this this new technology is in the food system. Nobody asked me if I wanted it. It just sort of popped up that way. I I don't really feel so good about that. And I'm very, very sympathetic to that position. Um, But now the question is, do you want to buy an impossible burger? Yes or no. And that choice is, you know, do I want something that's like a burger? Do I want to eat less meat or no meat? I'm looking at the impact. And yeah, this is a product that I want. And how is it made? Okay, I'm fine with how it was made. And I buy the product. And that's the same thing that we're looking at with the purple tomato. Um, The conversation is not, hey, do you want to eat a GMO tomato? Um, 
the conversation is we have this really cool purple tomato. It is high in antioxidants. It's really beautiful. It has extended shelf life. Um, it tastes great. This is how we're getting it out to you. And this is how we made it, by the way. We're being very transparent about the technology that went into it. But it's not a, an abstract conversation about technology. It's a conversation about this tomato, would you like it? And what I found when I talked to people, um, and I, I would say I have a, a very diverse group of friends and people around me. And, you know, I often talk to people say, oh, I, I don't like GMOs. I think they're bad. And, and I'm always interested to find out why. And when I talk to people about the purple tomato, they say, huh, okay, I didn't, I didn't know GMOs could be like this. And, you know, so it, so it's not a pesticide. I thought all GMOs had pesticides and they sort of ask and learn more. And, and usually many of them say, okay, you know, for, for this, I would eat this. I'd, I'd be curious to try it. And some of them say, you know, I still, I'm still not really there yet. And I say, that's, that's fine, right? There's no product that's going to be universally successful with 100% of people. Um, and so for us, we're looking at the customer segment of people who are interested in this product. They want the added nutrition. They find it beautiful. They like how it's produced. Um, they like the company that it's coming from and what our brand stands for. And that can be a few percent up to you know dozens of percents. And that for us is just fine for the business. Well, my last question is one that I get whenever I talk to people about this. It's like, so when will people be able to get this tomato? Absolutely. So we are planning to do very limited test markets starting in 2023 and expanding into 2024 and then doing a bigger launch in 2025. We really want to take care as we build up the product, build up our brand build up the production. Um, you know, we know in the produce space, it's not like writing software. It doesn't happen overnight like this. You know, you've now got distribution throughout the whole country. Um, it really takes a long time. And it's important to us that we're getting a good, consistent product that people really like. Um, we might have someone buy a purple tomato once because it's cool and interesting, but if it's not a good tomato, they'll never buy it again. And so this is really about building the quality production. Um, I'll, I'll, take that in to draw a contrast to the flavor saver tomato, which often comes up. <laughs> and of course the flavor saver, um, we learned, we learned a lot from them. They, they wrote the book in a lot of ways that were, that we're reading and building on. But one of the things that they did was did a nationwide launch very quickly. And they had a lot of issues trying to ramp up production that quickly. And so that's one of the lessons that we're looking at to really, really build things deliberately, slowly at our pace so we can give consumers a great product. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it is interesting. This isn't the, the first genetically modified tomato that's come out, but that that was something to look at and learn from. And I'm glad that, that you've done that. So that's good. Any other points you want to make sure that we get across here? Well, I guess I just want to say it's it's wonderful in my view that IFPA is taking an interest in this story that so many folks in the media, so many people in the industry have looked at this and had an open mind and been willing to have a an open discussion about what is this product, how does it fit in, when is it appropriate, when is it not. And I really think that this symbolizes a new era in the way that we use technology in the produce space. 
And, you know, I'll, I'll leave with something aspirational. You know, I'd, I'd love to see the purple tomato on display in the Museum of Modern Art in a few years as an example of, you know, a beautiful piece of creation that a very creative scientist, Kathy Martin, was able to put together based on discoveries she made about the natural world. You know, this is such a cool example of a nature-based solution, biomimicry, um, playing out in a product that people um, hopefully very soon will be able to go to the store, buy, put on their dinner table, eat, and enjoy and get the benefits from. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And congratulations. Like you said earlier, that this is a a big step for a small company, but it's also a, a huge step for the industry. And, and I'm so excited to see this happening and really paving the way for a lot of other products that we need for to combat climate change and to help with health and nutrition. And so this is just a really great first step. So thank you for your work and it was great talking to you. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie. I really appreciate it. The International Fresh Produce Association is bringing new technology to solve industry's big challenges through the new Fresh Field Catalyst Accelerator. The six-month immersive program works with technology companies outside of produce and floral to experience the challenges in our industry and develop innovative solutions for a healthier world. Applications are due April 4th. Find out more at freshproduce.com. You've been listening to Fresh Takes on Tech, a podcast from the International Fresh Produce Association. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep delivering the latest on produce technology. Thank you for listening. Until next time.